Welcome to Bear Creek AG. You're getting ready to listen to our current Bible study. Right now, Pastor Tony is walking through the book of James. So grab your Bible and a notepad or journal and join us. Let's jump into our Bible study tonight. I'm glad you all are here. I want to welcome those who are watching online as well. Get your Bibles out. Turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. As you do, I want to make a quick announcement to you. Um, kind of a, as they like to say on some radio programs, a shameless plug. I'm plugging something, but it's a good thing. This Sunday, I'm beginning a, a short series and uh, uh, on... The, the God of the moment and the God of the movement. And we're going to be looking at the, the life uh, history um, of Israel as they come out of Egypt. This Sunday is going to be really interesting. We're going to look at the miracle in the moment. We're going to look at how God, in certain times of moments, He works miracles in our lives, but He's also the God of the movement. And we're going to be kind of breaking that down in the next week or two, three weeks. Uh, we're going to look at different highlights of that journey of, of Israel through the 40 years um, of wandering in the wilderness until they finally crossed the Jordan. But that's this Sunday. I want to encourage you. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a, a great, it's something that God has just uh, birthed within my spirit through my time of fasting and praying. I always come out of the 21 days of fasting and praying, and I hope God has given me some kind of direction for this first series because this for obviously the first series is the launch of the year the altar being altered by the altar but now this is this is kind of where we're at and I think it's very poignant for the time that we're in considering all this going on not in the world but in our lives right here at Bear Creek Assembly of God and so I hope you will be joining me on Sundays and uh, prepare to just to learn what the Lord has for us. Well, we're going to be picking up in James chapter 3 tonight. We're going to be looking at, start in verse 13. So if you would, turn your textbooks, James chapter 3. Uh, <clears throat> you know, James, just to recapitulate, uh, not to repeat everything, but just to put everything in a frame. Remember that the, James is writing, I like to refresh this every once in a while, because we are actually in week 9 of this very short book, but I like the idea that we're breaking it down, we're discussing, and we're really, hopefully, you're applying the, the truth of this word to your life, because I think it's very applicable uh, for the church today. But remember, James, is basically, he's written this epistle uh, to the church, the Jerusalem church that's been scattered. He is their pastor because of persecution. They've scattered, and now they're in different parts of Israel. They may be in different parts of Samaria. They've just been scattered throughout the region. And so he's writing to them, and not so much to encourage them. I mean, really look at this letter. It's really, hey, I, I, you, I'm hearing things about you, and, and I just need to address these things that I'm hearing because I, I want your witness to be strong. And he's really dealing with faith and works. When we, we, we hashed that out really hard for about two weeks, he, and we said that it's not that he says that your works are what saves you, but it's because you are saved, he says, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And so it's all about a testimony. It's all about letting your, your light shine. It's all about being the light, to being the salt that Jesus... And a lot of what James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes from, he, if you really look in his writing, a lot of it is he's taken from, I won't say the writings of Jesus, because at this point they're not the writings, but he obviously somewhere along the line, heard the teachings or sat under the teachings of his brother Jesus because you can hear the Beatitudes in here. You can hear this, a lot of the other parts of the Sermon on the Mount 
uh, in, in his writing, and, it, and you can tell it had an impact. And so th- that's what we're here. That's, that's what we're doing. So we've been looking at things. We've been looking at uh, taking care of widows, taking care of orphans, being, care- being careful how you teach, uh, what you teach, being qualified to teach, being careful what your lips say. In every chapter he talks about your words and your tongue. And so it's really about being an effective witness or really being what you claim to be. I like to put it that way. You claim to be a follower of Christ. You claim to be a disciple of Jesus. Then live your life so that it reflects that you are a disciple of Jesus. One who's learned under the rabbi that you sat under, which would be Jesus. So we're going to pick up in chapter 3, verse 13. We, we talked two weeks about the tongue and the power of the tongue, the effectiveness of the tongue. But today we're going to look at, he's going to kind of still bring all that into, into our teaching. Have you ever thought of yourself as a car? And your life as a road. You know, there's a lot of analogies in life about what our lives are like. And, and I kind of like the idea that, you know what, I'm a car. And, and the, my life, my life uh, is part of the road that I'm going down, that I'm driving down is life. So my life's the car. And the road is life in general, the direction I'm going in. And, I mean, think about it. After all, just like a car, you're moving along, right? You're not stationary. You're moving forward. You're not the same age today as you were yesterday. And tomorrow you're going to be a day older. It's the same thing with mileage. You don't have the same miles on your car today as you had yesterday because you're driving. You're moving forward. Uh, you have to be aware that you're moving towards a destination. When you get in your car, you just don't drive. Well, most of us don't drive aimlessly. We, we have a destination, and so it is with life. We have, every day we have a destination in, in, in our life. And, uh, our final destination is going to live eternity with Christ. But that's where I end up. But to get there, there's point A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way down and repeating the alphabet depending on how many years I live. And, and so we have, to, we have to know that there's a destination. And eventually our journey will end. And just like a car, you're, you, sometimes you break down, don't you? Sometimes we're broken. Sometimes we've got to be fixed. Sometimes we have to have our tires rotated. And we know that sometimes it's not the, the age either. It's the mileage on the car, right? I mean, sometimes it's what you, what you have been doing in a life that takes you toll. And sometimes you have to be adjusted and you need repair. Sometimes you run into other cars <laughs> along life's journey and do damage. And, and there's a lot of parallels to your life being like a car driving down the road. Um, sometimes we move along in pretty good clips. And then sometimes we, we just we slow down. And so we, we, we understand that, that, and sometimes we end up in a ditch. We just get off, off kilter and off the road, and we're in a ditch. <clears throat> now, if you admit that, if you can understand that analogy, then I want to back up and ask the question, if our lives, or if your life is like a vehicle, a car, going down the, the road of life, the question then has to be asked, and James is going to address this, is who is sitting in the driver's seat? Say, if you are the car, you're not driving yourself necessarily. So who's in the seat, the driver's seat of your car? Now, sometimes we might say, well, it's my wife who's driving my life, or maybe my children who's driving my life, or maybe my career's driving my life. But James, as we look at verse 13 and read forward, we're going to find that James presents two options. And they're not the only options, but they're just one way to look at these options. And these two options he's going to look at tonight is either wisdom from above, what is driving your life, it can either be wisdom from above, godly wisdom, biblical wisdom, or it's going to be 
false wisdom. And he's going to, he's going to break down what false wisdom looks like. And, and this is pretty neat when you consider uh, you have the book of wisdom over in Proverbs. And there's 31 Proverbs. If you look at all that Solomon wrote to his sons in dealing with wisdom and how he, how he perceived wisdom. And so we're going to look at that. Let's look at James chapter 3, verse 13. We'll read through 16, and then we'll stop and discuss a little bit and give you time to maybe uh, chime in or make a comment or even ask a question. So it starts in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? He's writing to this church, right? Who is, who is, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Remember, he's talking about faith and works still within that context, okay? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, humbling yourself to wisdom, but not just any wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... There again, he's dealing with these people. They're teaching their tongue, how they're being unruly and and cutting. So he's still talking about that. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Interesting statement. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Some strong language. He uses the word demonic and demons quite a bit in his writings, doesn't he? He says it's demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That's some pretty strong language that James is using it. So um, he may not have known much about cars, but he did know about his readers, okay? He could see that they were in danger of being driven by the wrong kind of wisdom. Not from the wisdom from above, but this earthly, this unspiritual, this demonic wisdom that he's talking about. Okay, So some of them, as we've already discussed, were taking up the teaching role in the church. Back in verse 1 of three of chapter 3. And we're doing so for the wrong reasons. So he's still talking about your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Especially when it comes to teaching. Some of them were using their tongues in very harmful uh, and cutting ways. Okay, Without regard to the damage they were doing to the Hearer or the listener, and furthermore, as James looked at them, he could see bitter jealousy and selfish ambition or boastfulness. So he's saying part of the motivation behind this is you're looking out for yourself. You're jealous and you have this self-ambition, boastfulness that you want it to be about you. All right. So imagine it. Taking up the teaching role... Because you were envi- because you they because they were envisioning of uh, their vision of other excuse me let me read my writing take up the teaching role because they were envious of others and because they wanted to advance themselves cutting down anyone who came in their way put the pieces together connect the dots here he's writing a letter we look at it as a book but he's writing a letter it may not naturally flow in English as it did in the original Greek but when you look at the context he's and remember. We created the chapters. It was a continuous flowing letter. You have to understand that about these epistles. That's what they're called epistles or letters. So it's flowing. So he talks about teaching. Why they're teaching. Why are you wrong motives teaching. What you're saying. Wrong motives behind what you're saying. Don't you understand the damage that you're doing? And he comes down and says you're doing all this because you're jealous of one another. And you have selfish ambition. So the motive behind it isn't even a godly motive. You're doing everything because it's what you want to do. You want to be seen. You want to be heard. You want the position. Okay? So they were, it was mean-spirited ambition, which isn't wisdom. Boasting that you're wise, which isn't wisdom. 
twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom, he's saying. This isn't wisdom from above. Um, they're to be teachers that advance the truth. And that should be their motive, to advance the truth. But because they were fueled by envy and self-ambition, these people were lying about the truth. That's why he says about it. You're lying about the truth. They were working against the very truth they were supposed to be teaching, conveying to their reader, their listener, rather. Okay? And so that's the context of what he's talking about. So in the verse, uh, uh, so in, in the verse of our text, James traces all these tendencies back to their root. He essentially says to them, do you not know why you're doing these things? He's asking them, don't you understand why you're doing these things? What is the root? What is the motion? Do you not know why you're misusing te the teaching office? Why you're cutting up others with your words? What is behind this? And he cuts to the quick here. Yes, Brother Gerald? Yes, sir? He is, this letter, from what I understand, what we, we understand about the context of the letter and his role at the time of writing this, he's writing it to believers, followers of Christ, who had scattered due to persecution. So he's writing, he's getting reports of how they're acting and, and the fact that they're not, they're, they're not teaching the truth and they're teaching things to build themselves up. And, and so, and they're saying things and, and they're fussing among themselves and with those who are not believers. And the big issue is he's dealing with is you're not, you're not being a true Christ follower. You're not being an example that others would want to follow Christ is what he's saying. So it is written to believers. Now, they are Jewish believers. They're what we call today Messianic Jews. Okay, they're they were raised in Judaism, but have, have received Christ. They see Christ as the Messiah. So he is, he's, he is writing to the church here. Yeah, he's writing to the church. Absolutely. Okay. Is it because you're being driven along by false wisdom, is what James has basically asked. He calls it earthly, unspiritual, or sensual, demonic, sens uh, uh, excuse me, uh, unspiritual, sensual, or demonic. Okay, so let's look at this. I kind of broke this down. Let's look. When he, he used these three words, and as I see these three words, I see that it's building to a climax. Or another way to put it is it's going down to the root. You can either say one builds upon the other, or you look at it and say the top going down to the root. What I mean by that, whichever way you look at it, it begins by being earthly. What is, what is earthly? Because it says unspiritual. So when he, when he says earthly, what, what do you think he's talking about? I want to just discuss this. What, in your mind, uh, when he says earthly, what, what, do you, what do you think he's referring to? Any ideas? Any comments on that? Earthly. Christian? Good word. Natural. It, it's not necessarily unspiritual because he deals with unspiritual. But it's, 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 it's wisdom that's contained to this natural world. What might seem to be natural. John? Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I put earthly means the... Uh, 
is speaking um, this world as if it, it, within the boundaries. It begins and ends with this world, limited to this world. It does not view life from an eternal perspective. Okay? Yeah. It's not, like I said, he's gonna deal, we're going to deal with unspiritual next. So whether, whether that is the foundation for the unspiritual, the demonic, or you want to look at it top-bottom, it, it, this is level one, level two, level three. He's saying, this is the natural, and it, ha, and it has no view of eternity, is what he's saying. In other words, it has no inclination of life after this life. Okay? So, and we could give examples of that. There, there's, there's natural wisdom that isn't necessarily ungodly wisdom, but just in the sense of considering this world. Okay? It could be whether... Natural wisdom would be um, store up for the future while you have plenty now because you don't know what the future holds. That's natural. That's not necessarily unspiritual unless, unless God is telling you to do something else. See my point? There's nothing wrong with preparing for tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with preparing for retirement. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, and that's within the naturals. But that's not thinking of eternal things. But God may say, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to invest in the kingdom. That may be something God calls you to do. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to give you, I didn't write an example down, but just trying to give you something in the, that's natural wisdom. Okay? Then he goes on and says, the word, uses the word sensual or unspiritual. Okay? Depends on which translation. And that refers to now our fleshly appetites. Okay? Uh, an unredeemed spirit and once again James is very clear when his readers were teaching from the wrong reasons and speaking the wrong way they were doing so to gratify their own desires and they were thinking of no one but themselves and once again no eternal perspective to life worldly wisdom views life from limited perspective and so the 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 central the unspiritual is definitely anti-spiritual any comments, questions, or anything you want to add to that? I mean, he used these three words, and they all have to be different. They, I mean, they don't have to be, but they are all different from his perspective, and of course, as they're written in the Greek. Yes, Brother John? Well, I haven't got to demonic yet, but yes. Okay, no, I mean, that's fine, but I'm trying to show you how these are all three different, but one's a different level, is the next level. One is kind of entry point, and then it progresses to the next, and it ends up demonic, is what, what I see James pointing out here. So, and as I think about these two, thinking about the worldly and the sensual, and the feeding the flesh, I think is how uh, Christian had referred to it a few minutes ago when he was talking about the, 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 the natural. Really, this is where the feeding the flesh it, it, it is. It has no eternal perspective either, but now it actually goes to the point of being un, unspiritual or, or detrimental because now you're feeding the desires, you know, the pride of life, the, the, the uh, lust of the flesh, left side, the pride of life, now is getting unspiritual. Now we're damaging you in a spiritual sense. And, and what I see is this, these first two descriptions, kind of, I was writing this, it says, you know, it kind of reminds me of a child. You think about a child when they're little, um, it, 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 it's all about them in the moment without any regard of tomorrow. They want what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and they want it 
now. Now. So it's kind of like, like a child. But as they grow older, hopefully they mature and see the ramifications of wanting what they want, when they want, how they want it now. Because now they can see the consequences of that living that way. I, I don't know if that's a great example or not, but that's just kind of with my spirit. You have something to say, Christian, you're just, you're squirming. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, just because I'm a kid and I want my fifth pizza pizza and I want it now because I love pizza, as I grow older, I've got to understand that that's not detrimental to me. That's actually harmful to me. So I've, I, I've got to be, be, be wise in that and understand that. And so it should be for the Christian, okay? And then James adds the word demonic. I mean, that's strong language. I mean, okay, we can understand the worldly. We can understand the, the even at times maybe being, you know, I'm, and sometimes I may be operating in the natural, and sometimes I may be operating in the flesh, which is unspiritual. But now he's calling me demonic in, in, in what I'm doing. I mean, that's some really strong language. And, and what he's done is he has traced what his readers have been doing to false wisdom. The whole thing about this section is about real wisdom, wisdom from above, or False wisdom, and the reason why I say false wisdom because that means it's not real wisdom. And what he's done, he's said all the, the natural and, and even the unspiritual, it's all rooted within the demonic, which is not real wisdom. See, it's concerned with you and, and how it can advance yourself, how it promotes yourself, uh, uh, how it, it, it affects you. It's all about what you can get out of a relationship, what you can get out of circumstances, what you can get out of this opportunity. And James says this is of the devil. You're going to do what you can do so it benefits you at whatever cost. See, and it's driven by not necessarily the flesh. It begins, it begins with the natural influence on us. Then it begins with the the fleshly part of who I am, and now Satan, demonic powers, influence can take it and use it for his good. Go ahead. Affect your life. Trite. Yeah, it becomes a stronghold. A good, okay, here's a good analogy. Adam and Eve in the garden, we always go back to that. But that is the most basic word picture you can see of, of a lot of how Satan manipulates and takes away. Adam and Eve were in the natural. They were in the physical world. In the physical world, the fruit that they see that they should not have eaten of looked appealing to them. It was in the natural. It looked good. There's nothing wrong with admiring it. That's a really nice, let's say, apple. Man, that's, that's a pretty, I guarantee that's got to be a Fuji. It has to be sweet and juicy. I love Fuji apples, right? right? Now, obviously, the, this is kind of getting out of order, but I, for, us, for, the, for the purpose of being accurate, it's Satan that comes along before it becomes fleshly. They didn't have a sin nature. But once they did, the sin nature took over. But within that, you see how then the, now that we have that sin nature, we're born in that sin nature, how now I know... I shouldn't do this, so there I do. And then Satan takes advantage of that moment 
And now he controls you. And what's happened is he has slipped into the driver's seat of your life, of your car, which we call your life, see, without you even knowing it, in the form of false wisdom. It's not that he comes along and possesses you. If you are a child of God, you, cannot, you can be afflicted by Satan. We know that. But he can't, he can't control you unless you give control to him. Okay, But what he does is, is with false wisdom, with natural wisdom and unspiritual wisdom, he takes that wisdom and it becomes demonic because now he, through your desires, through the natural desires, through the fleshly, the sinful desires, he is now guiding you and you get off the path God wants you and now you're going down the wrong path and you're living and most times you don't realize it most of the times you don't realize it until you get well how did I get down here I'm at a dead end well you should have taken that left in Albuquerque Bugs Bunny right does this make sense okay Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it does, but I think you my I think what James is pointing out to these people, and I could be wrong here. Okay, this is Bible study, so we're breaking it and we're discussing it. It's almost as if they didn't realize it because it came in the cloak of Satan operates within the cloak of wisdom, not godly wisdom but natural and unspiritual wisdom, see? And you're not aware of it, though. Often, often. I don't say every time. But I agree, you're influenced by the people you're around because the people you associate with have influence in your life and you value most likely their opinion. If you didn't, you wouldn't listen to them. You wouldn't probably be around them. And it does come down to your choice, knowing right from wrong, knowing what you should and shouldn't do, and making the right decisions based on wisdom from above. Yes, she did. Yeah. It does, yeah. It is there. Mm-hmm. Boy, have we been paying the price for that woman's mistake ever since. Yeah, go, your wife's not here, brother. Go for it. You're right, because God held him accountable. You're right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, it was Adam that said... We now there again we're kind of splitting hairs here. God held him accountable because God put him over the garden, put him over Eve, and he told Adam not to do it. And then he must have, unless Eve happened to be there when God said it, there's no evidence she was or wasn't, but somehow it was communi- if it was he communicated. But nonetheless, he was they were they were co heirs, but God said, You are over the garden, Adam. 
this is your garden. This is your wife, not to lord over, but to lead, which is what a man's husband role today is, is to lead his wife, not driver, but to lead her in all ways, in every way, lead her. That's why my wife is so successful today. She has a great leader. Easy, brother, easy, all right? All right. Yeah. But James is saying that Satan comes in the cloak of wisdom. Cloak of wisdom is what he's, he expects. So James is not yet through with this, his devastating analysis of this devilish wisdom. He wraps it up by saying that it leads to disorder and every vile practice. That's verse 16. And we've already said that cars sometimes hit the ditch, and that's where this false wisdom winds up every time. Think about those who are Christ's followers, you know, who have fallen for the worldly, the unspiritual, yes, even the demonic wisdom, and their lives have been destroyed because of it. I know a lot. I can even say my life at one point was destroyed because of not heeding wisdom from above. John? Well, I'm not familiar with Scripture that points out the names of demons. We do know that within Scripture that demons, they, in the New Testament particularly, spoke to Christ. And one was named Legion because of the number of the demons. Uh, so we don't know how many demons uh, there are in the spiritual world. But I do want to remind you of this. There's more for us than there are against us as far as there's more angels than there are demons in the spiritual realm. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Satan didn't create demons. He persuaded a third of the angels to follow him. So that means from the very beginning of the fall of Satan, at least two-thirds of them still exist. And who says that angels aren't still being created by God? There's no evidence that he stopped creating angels. Is it possible that angels, like humans, can reproduce? We don't know that. We don't have any evidence that there are, excuse me, ladies, female angels. We do know that every angel that's mentioned of in the Bible that has a name had a masculine name, so we don't. There's a lot that we don't know, but what we do know, we focus on. There's more angels than there are um, demonic forces, and that's. And you have at least one angel that's in charge over you, according to the to the Bible. I say one angel. He gives his angels charge over us, but we do. I do firmly believe that. Uh, I spoke a message one time about employing your angels. I think one thing we don't do is allow God's angels to minister to us. That's something we don't think about because we say, well, the Holy Spirit ministers to us and the Holy Spirit works for us. We ever think that the Holy Spirit might use angels to do that? I mean, he, we say, Father, put a hedge around us. Let your angels encamp us. And, you know, so we use the terminology, but do we really focus not that we worship angels but we, we we do we really believe that there's angels out there i mean uh, forgive me i'm not prepared but I, I, 
was it not Elisha or was it Elijah? It was one of those two guys that God, I think it was Elisha, I think it was Elisha, could be wrong there, where, where he and his servant were surrounded by the armies and, and God lifted the veil of blindness, spiritual blindness, and they could, see, they could see the armies of angels that were around them. And hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? Because look at his armies. So, anyways, kind of chased the rabbit there. But, John, we don't. Go back to your question. I don't, I'm not aware of a scripture which says we can, we can know. I have seen in, in history where, uh, not just biblical, but I've heard or read stories where they would say, talk to the demons, and the demons would res- respond to the person that was casting them out. I'm sure they do have names. Angels have names. Michael, right? You know, we... we they all have... That's, that's it. So, um, so yeah... But uh, they're real. We don't have to fear them. Yeah. We, we, we hierarchy sin. And we do know there's some that are abomination to God. There's, there's some. There's a list that says... And... and, and that doesn't mean they're not forgivable, but there are, there are, you're right, there's only one that's unforgivable, and that, that's blasphemy in the Holy Spirit, and most Christians can't even tell you what that is, so chances are you've never done it, all right? I've had that, well, pastor, how do I know? I says, well, have you ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Well, how will I know if I've done it? Well, if you don't know, you've done it. To him who does not know, it's not sin. If you don't know what it is. But that doesn't mean we need to be ignorant of it. Because reality of it is, is there, it is a serious sin. But the, rea- but the reality of it is, that's the only one that God says, I, I, that's, I can't. And, and basically blaspheme the Holy Spirit in, in a very basic terminology or way to explain it is giving Satan credit for what God has done. And, and that's kind of a very... And, well, and didn't, yeah, and yeah, because he said, "If you deny me, I will deny." Yeah, so that's 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 kind of lumped in there. So, anyways, chased a chased a little bit of a rabbit there, but that's good stuff. But the point of the matter is, is uh, John, you're right. It's we focus on on the the, the murder, the 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 stealing, uh, the uh, the idolatry, the adultery. Uh, uh, or fornication of any kind, uh, uh, the homosexuality. We, we, we focus on that, and I can take in Scripture where those are all bunched in with gossip. Gossip? What's gossip? Saying something to somebody, whether it's true or not, that doesn't need to be said is basically what gossip is. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be false to be gossip. See? I'm kind of chasing there again, chasing this rabbit. But we, we have to be aware of that. But the good news is, God forgives. But we have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of it, okay? And sometimes gossip, to get us back on task, comes from false wisdom. We think this is something we should do or could do. Oh, I want to tell you something about this person so you can be praying for them. See? Okay. Back on track here. Okay. All right, think about times you've listened to false wisdom and how it's affected you. Now, I'm not asking for examples. I want you to think about it. When was a time that you fell for ungodly wisdom, whether it was in the natural, whether it was unspiritual duty of the flesh, 
that that basically was used by Satan become demonic wisdom and how did it affect you how how it took you down paths that were miserable and were rough here's a good example you're not pleased with your church well, I ain't worried about the Pope. Let's talk about your pastor here. All right, uh, you you are uh, you're not pleased with something. Natural wisdom would say, "Well, maybe it's, it, maybe I need to leave." That becomes unspiritual because why? What's driving it? And me, what I want, how I want it, when I want it. And then very quickly, that becomes demonic wisdom because now God has you out of His will where He wants you planted and where He wants you ministering. Now, that's not because people are leaving the church. I mean, my goodness, we're half the church we were, but not because they, well, they have left because of COVID. But you hear my heart. That, that I have seen people leave churches and then become even more miserable or just stop going to church at all and become more miserable well, because I don't like this, I don't like that, or he said this, or no one talked to me, whatever. That's natural. In other words, it's affecting your natural. It becomes unspiritual because now it's dealing with your pride, with your ambition, with, with your flesh. And very quickly, Satan will take that. It becomes It is the demonic wisdom now. Does that make sense, what James is trying to say here? See, and for long, you're, you're miserable, okay? Think what's your motivation to follow the false wisdom. What was your motivation? Did the false wisdom have any, any internal value to it? See, I have to ask that question. Was it wisdom that promoted the moment? Now, not looking to the future. Okay, got to ask that. Was it self-gratifying, self-promoting? If you knew it wasn't godly, what motivated you to follow it, and how did you justify that? See, questions we have to ask. That's because why? James is saying, I want you to be following godly wisdom, wisdom from above. See, if you'll do that, then the motive behind what you say is going to have eternal value. It's not going to be in the moment. You hurt my feelings, so I'm going to let you have it. Now it's become demonic. All right? It's, it's, you're, you're teaching and you're not teaching with the right motives behind it. It was a great, I mean, it's great that you want to volunteer to be a teacher, but what is, what is the motive behind why you want to be a teacher? And what are you, are you teaching the truth? This is what he's, what he's dealing with, see. Why wouldn't you? Why would you store up for the future when you know you have a widow over here who has nothing to eat? Where is the eternal wisdom from above in that when you have that you can give? I mean, I'm just going back through what he said, his examples. This isn't in a cookie-cutter box, and that's all he's talking about. These are examples of what they were doing. We now have to pull it into the 21st century, and what are we doing or not doing and what's the wisdom? Is it wisdom from above? Or is it wisdom in the natural that says, well, it makes sense not to do it, but to do this? Is it, is it wisdom that's unspiritual because, well, I want it to be about me, about me? And very quickly what's happened is it's become demonic in the sense that it no longer has eternal value and it's actually undermining God's plan, His will for your life. You're off track. You're off the course. You're in a ditch. You're in a fender bender. You're at a dead end. Does this make sense? 
I mean, this is really some meat right here when you look at it. When you really read it, look at it within the, the concept or with the context, rather, of what James is writing about. Say, say you have faith all you want to. Let me see your works that justify or prove your faith. Brother Gerald? You left. Yeah, good question. Yeah, absolutely. Good comment. Good statement. Absolutely. And let me say this. If you've been hurt and you've made the choice to leave, I'm not saying you don't go to someone for godly counsel on it because there's something there you have to deal with or address so that it doesn't seep into your existing relationship with your existing church and your existing pastor. And by no means am I saying you should never leave a church. God, God moves people. He moves preachers and He moves people. You just got to know what's God and why, why is God moving you. So this is not doing damage control in any means. But go ahead, brother. But I want to say that. It doesn't mean you said gossip. Yeah, you don't want to talk about, about the pastor you ch- to church you left. But if you're hurt, if you're scarred, if you're wounded, you might need to seek some counsel for healing. The Bible is explicit about that. So, but yeah, I, I'm with you, brother. Absolutely. Because how many of y'all, okay, how many of y'all were here when I came here to this church? Raise your hand that you've already gone to this church. So, okay, so three, four of you. So how many of y'all came after I did from another church? Okay, all right. I'm not saying you're wrong by coming here. No, 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 nay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have to look at the motives behind it. Was, it a, was God leading you or was it just, was it? I don't think you should ever leave a church out of offense. You should stay and deal with the offense and then let God determine whether it's time to go. Because chances are if you go on offense, you carry that offense with you. And it's going to affect the relationships at the other church. See? And with people. Does that make sense? I don't know how we got on that. I guess because I used that as an example. Maybe that wasn't the best. Well, it wasn't a bad example, but it is a real example. See? So. Well, we're almost out of time, but let me, let, let, let's try to finish this real quick, okay? I don't, I don't know. I may just regurgitate this, but hang on because if, here's the good news, okay? Satan doesn't have to be in the driver's seat. There is another driver. He is the Lord Jesus Christ and his wisdom from above. And he says in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure and you got to now listen as we go through this list you got to determine when you what wisdom when you make decisions what what is the wisdom where where are you where are you basing these decisions from because if it's from god it's first pure then it's peaceable it's gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and look at what it says in verse 18 and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace Wow. So real quick, let's see what this is. This is the wisdom of God. It is the wisdom that is from above. It is the wisdom that springs forth from God and pertains to God. So let's look at this real quick. What does this wisdom look like? At first, it's pure. This means it's free from all the things that characterize false wisdom. Okay. It's also peaceable. It delights in peace, promotes peace, peace-loving, promoting peace. It's got to be peaceable. Okay. It is gentle, it's not combative and abrasive, it is reasonable, and it is courteous. 
Okay? It's open to reason. It doesn't insist on its rights and its own way. It sounds a lot like love, doesn't it? Is it not describing love here? Okay? This is amazing when you parallel that. It is full, I said full of, okay, it's full of mercy, rather. That is, it shows compassion to those who are in need, the ability to forgive quickly. Show in person, when they make a mistake, you show them mercy. Okay? It is full of, what? Good fruit. That means it's rich in good deeds. Everything James has been talking about here. It's impartial. Impartial. It does not show favoritism. Does not make unfair distinctions. James has already covered that. He's saying this is this is everything I've said. This is what I've been describing to you. It is sincere and genuine. It doesn't put on a front. See, and this is the wisdom from above. It's everything opposite of natural in most systems. Definitely unspiritual. And definitely demonic wisdom. Okay? And when we allow this wisdom to drive us down the road of life, which is another way of saying we allow God to drive us, or we're led of the Holy Spirit, we achieve a wonderful result. That result is, in verse 18, is righteousness. Right standing with God. It's, it's righteousness is uh, right conduct. It's right living. It's living in accordance with the will of God. God's wisdom always produces that which is right Understand that. If you're about to do something, say something, and it doesn't produce something right, you have to ask, is this wisdom from above? This is tough, isn't it? I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is not easy to swallow. This little book just slaps me up and down the my side of my face. Because it's so hard to get out of the natural just to do things because it benefits me. I'm not necessarily telling and saying unspiritual I'm not saying I got any kind of great ambition, but it's really hard not to do. Th- it's hard to do things that don't benefit you because we're driven by the natural and by the flesh to some degree, the unspiritual, to do things only those things do benefit us. What's in it for me? But everything about being a follower of Christ says it's not about me. It's about Him. It's about the kingdom. It's about the bride of Christ. That's why in the book of Acts, you can see that they met daily. They broke bread daily. They had communion daily. They studied the apostles' teachings daily. And daily, God added to their numbers. And then when they found someone in need, they went and sold their things, their property, their, their, their valuables, so that what? They could meet the need of the other. There was no benefit in them for doing that, but they just wanted to bless one another. Wisdom from above. And James is using the word wisdom here, and really what he's saying is it is wisdom, but it's the way is the way of a disciple. This is the way. I'm working on a series called This Is the Way, by the way. And for you guys that have watched The Mandalorian, you know what that's. I'm working on that. That may be the series we do after this God of the Moment and God of the Movement. This is the way. And that's what that's what he's talking about, wisdom from above. This is the way. This this is the way a disciple operates. This is the way a disciple talks. This is the way the disciple carries themselves. Because we are not representing us, we're representing the rabbi, the one that we sit under, which in this case is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so he's trying to pastor these people. And they've gone down the wrong path, so to speak. Okay. I have a little more, but I'm gonna, I think I'm going to 
shut it right down right there for, for time's sake. Um, righteousness flourishes in a climate of peace. There's a sequence James gives. I'm going to close with this. There's a sequence there. Right living is the result of people of peace sowing seeds of peace. You have to be peaceable to sow seeds of peace. Right? And so right living is a result of these people who are peaceful sowing seeds of peace. And the people of peace are those who are driven by true wisdom, wisdom from above. And righteousness flourishes in a climate of peace. That's what James says right there. That's, that's powerful. And there's truth, so much truth to that. Living peacefully with one another and doing what is right in the eyes of God. Right standing with God. That's living according to the wisdom from above. And it's the only true wisdom. Any closing comments or questions? I know that's a hard way to land. It's almost like a belly land. Boom! But maybe ponder that. Go back and read it, and maybe next week you can come with questions, and we can, we can maybe uh, dissect it a little bit more before moving forward. I don't want to just go through it just to get through it. I want you to grasp that this epistle, this letter, is so God had me teach it at this moment for a reason. I think this is what we have to focus on, especially considering the climate that we're living in with all that's going on around us. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just not COVID. It's, it's still racial tension. It's still political division in our nation. There's no unity. Uh, I mean, it's... We have to be the people. It doesn't... Do, we stand up for what's right. doesn't mean we roll over and let people walk on us and kick us. But we have to be people of peace. We have to be people of righteousness. We have to live our lives according to wisdom from above. This is the way. It's God's way, following Christ. Did he stand up against what was wrong? Sure he did, but he did it peacefully. Peter, why are you pulling out your sword? <laughs> Live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And aren't we, aren't we seeing that today? It's amazing the people in political realms and even in the Christian world who are out here mean speak, you're using mean speech and just anti 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 and 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 cancel this cancel culture now canceling 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 and yet they are they're living by that and so many of them now are being affected by that same thing because it comes back on you doesn't mean we don't call wrong wrong and right right it doesn't mean we can't express our political views but we're not citizens of the United States first we're citizens of the kingdom of God first and I'm going to stand for those moral principles of God's word. But I sure am proud to be an American, too. Still live in the greatest country in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, you grasp that within the context. So just make sure you live in your life. You make your decisions before you say something, before you do something. You have to ask yourself, is this benefiting the kingdom of God? Is this going to bring peace? Is this wisdom from above? Is this, I hate to even use this analogy, it's wore out. Is, is this what Jesus would do? And then based on that, do it knowing um, that it's what you should do or what you should say. But just be careful. Be careful. Questions? Comments? Oh, I feel like it just slapped you upside the head with a wet noodle and it's like,
it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll be honest, can I be honest with you? Brother Gerald said something earlier. I hate to give him credit for something. And and well, Brother Bill basically said said it in but from a different angle. Still our choice, what we do, how we do it. We have to make the choice to live by the wisdom above. But a lot of times we conduct our lives by those we hang out with. See. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a, used to have a saying in the computer world program, trash in, trash out. You write a program, if it's trash, if it isn't written properly, you're going to get garbage. You can't trust the, can't trust the out, outcome of the program, the results. And so it is with our lives. Okay. All righty. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, Father, for, I'm going to use the word enlightening us, Lord, uh, you, to this passage, Lord, that James has written. Um, Lord, I know you value teaching because when you was on this earth, you were a teacher. It's not that you don't want preaching because preaching is valuable as well. But, Lord, teaching is so important for your disciples. It's how we learn to emulate the Master, and that's you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for the teaching that James gives us tonight, Lord. It's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. Because, Father, by nature and by flesh, I want to do what benefits me. And I guarantee you that most everybody, if not everybody else, within the hearing of this lesson probably lives and operates in the same fashion, God. But, Lord, I pray that you help us to guard our hearts, to be careful of what we listen to and how we act, Father, and to emulate the one who we claim we follow. And, Father, that means every moment of every waking minute of our lives we have to live within the tension of what we're doing and what we're saying and what we're thinking and does it bring you glory or does it bring you embarrassment does it benefit your kingdom or does it bring harm to your kingdom father but lord i believe with the holy spirit empowering us that god we can do better at accomplishing these things, Father. I believe that, Lord. It's not impossible. My fat Father, it's, it's very possible because the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us. But, God, we have to give Him ear. We have to give Him time, Lord. We have to be sensitive. And I pray that, God, help us, Lord. Father, I want to be, first and foremost, God, I want to be the Christian you desire me to be. Because I know, Lord, as I grow in you and I live according to your word at the best of my ability, which you require, God. You require my effort. You require my deeds. And I know, Lord, as I do that, Father, that I'm going to become a better husband for my wife. And I'm going to become a better father for my sons. And, God, I'm going to become a better friend for those you have put in my life, God. And, yes, I will become even a better pastor for the sheep that you've put under my leadership. So, Lord, I pray that for myself, Lord, and I pray that over this fellowship as a whole, that we can become the bride that you've called us to be so that when you send people our way, Father, they are welcome, they are loved, they are accepted, God, and we don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Lord, we don't reject or we don't discriminate, God, and we help as we can. And, Lord, if we'll do that, and we continue to study the apostles' teaching, God, and meeting regularly, Lord, and fellowshipping, breaking bread, and taking communion, Lord. I believe, Father, it's your will to add to this fellowship daily. 
because it is about the kingdom and growing the kingdom for your will. Thank you, God. Be with us tonight. Give us rest. Give us peace, Lord. And um, God, just help us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.